I was at an AAU game with Jaden. Our team was about to play. I was coaching him, and I was sitting on the bench, and I looked behind me, and sitting behind me was this guy, and I saw his face. I said, oh my goodness. Sitting behind me was the Super Bowl champion, the nine-time Pro Bowler, the Defensive Player of the Year in 2009, the Defensive Rookie of the Year in 1998 the two times NFL interception leader, the national 1997 Michigan Wolverine champion, and also the Heisman Trophy winner, Sir Charles Woodson. Oh my goodness. He was sitting like two bleachers behind me. I lost my everlasting mind. I didn't know what to say. I thought, okay, I gotta say something. Okay, what, what do I do? And the boys I was with the team was like, they have no clue who's sitting behind me. This guy is the greatest corner to ever play the game of football in the history of the football. One year he got nine interceptions. You know how impossible it is to get an interception in the NFL? He got nine one year. I turned to the kids, I say, guys, behind us is Charles Woodson. And they're like, oh, cool, hey. I was like, no, 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 not all cool, hey. It's Charles Woodson. Give him some respect. When we pray, we need to put God in his proper place of who he is. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for December 16th, 2018. Today, Pastor Olu brings us part two of his message called World Engines. Daniel, let us pray. Pastor Olu reminds us how important prayer is in our lives as Christians. Pastor Olu says that prayer isn't just asking God for something, but rather prayer places us in our proper place when it comes to God. He also says that prayer puts us in proper position of fellowship with God and causes us to place God in his proper perspective and position. Now he'll be reading from the book of Daniel, so grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's word here on Followers of the Way. Daniel 9, recapping what we did last week, pretty much to recap it is to be a student of the word. Daniel started off after he heard all those visions and you saw at the end of chapter 8 he was sick and it started off in verse 9, chapter 1, chapter 2, saying that he went to the word of God. And we talked about how he separated the word and he broke it down and he didn't just gloss over it, but he read it, spent time in it. He was a student of the word. And so to bring back just to, to flow into this week, challenge us as a body of Christ and us under the sound of my voice to be a student of the word. Study the word, know the word, know it in and out. I think about the things that I'm excited about or that I'm familiar with. Uh, the new trailer for the new uh, Marvel movie came out, uh, I think it was Friday, came out. And knowing that it was come out and waiting all day, we kind of watch it together. So no matter where we are, we wait till we're all together in the house to watch it. Um, just watching it and then breaking it down and looking it back on the gator and rewinding it and watching it again. Oh, I didn't see that the last time. And then rewinding it again and, oh, that must mean that. Or oh, that problem that means this. And then looking at, talking about the different theories, well, such and such said this, or oh, maybe this has happened because of this. And then we look at it again and again and again and we go back and reference the movies before and the movies before that. And just in that little time of breaking down a two minute trailer for a movie that we're excited about, see, we have separated and broken it down and chopped it up and discerned it and looked deeply into it. And I was thinking about that as we were doing it and praying that myself, that my family and the body of Christ would do the same thing and more with the word of God. 
They're that same intensity that you're looking and trying to catch every little thing because you don't want to miss anything. When we read and study the scripture, that's the same passion that as the body of Christ we need. As you're reading, as you study, look deeply. Block out everything else. I don't want to miss nothing. I want to make sure I catch that. What does that refer to? When did he say that again? And that same energy as we study the word of God. So to be a student of the word. Daniel was a student of the word of God. And that led him to be and to do all those things that we see uh, that he did uh, in the scriptures. And so when we look at verse 3. I'll start at two. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of just Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then and I want to stop right there. Some of your Bibles may say so. Uh, my version says then some of your Bibles say and all those words are transitional words. What they're saying is based on what just happened before, something else is about to happen. And so what's about to happen is a natural flow from what happened before. And so he was talking about in verse two about studying, breaking down, chopping up, discerning, understanding the word of God. And in doing that, what Daniel says, the natural flow out of that is verse three. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Verse four, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And then Daniel goes on with the prayer of Daniel chapter nine. What I like about that is prayer flows naturally out of the studying of the word of God. As a matter of fact, in order for us to have proper prayer habits, we must have proper biblical study habits because that's what prayer comes out of. Prayer comes out of the studying of the word. Uh, an old preacher by the name of Ray Pritchard, I like to listen to from time to time, he said this, the prayer that touches God's heart must be rooted in the word of God. As we pray, as we take time to talk to God, our prayers need to be rooted in the word of God. The reason why is that in our relationship with God, prayer is our part. And so we read the Bible to hear from God what God wants to tell us. We dissect, we break down, we decipher, uh, discern the word of God so we know exactly what God is telling us. And then we pray to him to communicate back to him. And that's how the communication goes between us and God. That's how our relationship is built. Now, I want to take a side note real quick. I wasn't going to say anything, but then I was going to say something, but I want to bring it up. So I'm going to try to treat this delicately and get off it. Um, in Daniel, um, and, and it's kind of, I know Paul, when he's talking, he, he's saying, thus saith the Lord. And then he gets to one section and he says, okay, this ain't God. This is me talking. And then Paul says some stuff in Corinthians and then he comes back and says, OK, now it's God talking again. And he goes back. So this is kind of Olu talking. Not really Olu talking like it's against God, but it's, it's a it's a it's a I'll just say it. So um, around this time of the year, January is about to start. We're going to start hearing a lot of things about Daniel. A lot of churches and organizations doing the Daniel fast situation thing. Uh, I want to come off the top saying I do not have a problem 
at all. Not that it matters any problems that Olu have, but I don't have a problem. I don't think it's a biblical issue for a local church to do things together as a church. We're going to come together and do this. We're going to come together and do that. I think that's great. I think it's wonderful. It shows unity and everything. My issue is when we attempt to over-spiritualize things that don't deserve that level of spiritualification. It's a brand new word I just invented. Just, just made it up. Um, that, that, that's why I think we have to be careful. For instance, the Daniel fast. The, the, the concept is that Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, he said, I'm not going to eat the king's meat. And so he decided, he told him to bring me uh, only vegetables and water and watch what I look like. Uh, they also go to Daniel chapter 10, and it talks about how uh, Daniel, because he was so alarmed, he was in mourning, he says, I'm not going to eat any delicacies, no meat or wine will enter my mouth. And people kind of take those two things and make this thing called the Daniel fast. And for 21 days, the church is going to participate in this thing. And they have invented this list of foods that are for the Daniel fast that you can eat and that you shouldn't eat. Again, I don't have a problem or think there's this biblically, un I don't think it's unbiblical for a church to get together and pull up a list of foods that they're going to and not eat for 21 days and do it. I just think that when we over emphasize things that aren't biblically based and de-emphasize things that the Bible commands us to do, I think that poses a problem. Daniel 1 isn't a fast. Daniel isn't fasting. He was doing what God said. God said, don't eat that food. So Daniel said, oh, by the way, I haven't been eating that food and I'm not going to eat that food, and I will continue not to eat that food. So it wasn't a fast. It was just him obeying what God said. Daniel chapter 10, it doesn't necessarily call it a fast. He said he was mourning, and so he said, I'm not going to eat meat and wine because he was sad for something. Could have been a fast. Maybe it was. My thing is that, and this is where I'm going to end it, I think that the body of Christ, and if we're going to put emphasis on something, if we're going to put hype around something, if we're going to put a rally cry and bring the body together to do something, I think it should be focused on things that are more spiritually specific, in my opinion. And so, and we can stick with Daniel. Look what Daniel did and say, as a church, we're going to do that. Look at Daniel's obedience. He said, you know, they want me to do this or they're going to kill me. I'm not going to do it. I'll risk dying. And so for those days, Daniel said, I'm going to obey God no matter what. So let's do a Daniel obedience for 21 days. For 21 days, I'm going to obey everything my parents tell me. I'm going to obey everything God tells me for 21 days unequivocally. Uh, how Daniel was uncompromised. Daniel said, no matter what, I'm going to follow these things. I don't care. The, the Hebrew boy said, throw me in a furnace. It don't matter. So for 21 days, we're going to live as a body of Christ uncompromised. No matter what comes across the board for 21 days, we're going to put up signs. We're going to write books. We're going to all check each other. We're going to put it all on Facebook. This is what we're going to do. Daniel specifically, the Bible says that Daniel prayed three times a day. He had a pattern of prayer that three times a day he prayed. It specifically said that that's what he did, such that when the people were trying to get him, so how do we get rid of this is Daniel? All he does is worship God. You know what we can do? Let's make a law against his God. Because we all know, we all know that Daniel prays three times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. He specifically makes a purposeful prayer three times to God. And I believe that that prayer was combining by studying the scriptures, as we see in verse 9, in chapter 9. So how about we do that? For 21 days, our church is going to pray three times a day, morning, afternoon, and night, as a body, as a church, 
Study the scriptures. Daniel chopped up the word in Daniel chapter nine. So our church is going to, my opinion, I think that our hype and our emphasis should be on those things that are more spiritually beneficial and biblically based if we're going to do something out of Daniel. In my opinion, again, I go back to, I don't see anything wrong with the Daniel fast. I just would hope that our emphasis as a church, universal, will be more on things that are specific when it comes to the Bible than these nice, cool little things to do. And in saying that, we're going to jump into the specifics of Daniel's prayer. And I would like to challenge us, our local body, follows the way, for starting in January, <laughs> that we do 21 days of Danielness. And looking specifically at what Daniel did. And we're going to break down prayer right now because I think one of the things when I look at that Acts chapter 242, they devoted themselves to the apostles teachings. I think we do a great job of that. And we can always do better. But I think we do a great job of focusing on the word of God and understanding the word of God. Fellowship. Anytime we get together, it's it's we don't have any issues with the fellowship. We'll go to Kiki's right when they close and stay there four hours to raise the light. We don't have no problem when we get together as fellowship. Uh, breaking the bread, we do communion once a month here. I think that one area as our body, our local body, that we as a church need to focus more on, it is prayer. I would say individual prayer that we're doing, but I'm talking specifically about corporate prayer. I mean, us coming together as a body, as they did in Acts chapter 2, saying we're going to devote ourselves continually to prayer. And I think that's an area that we, as our local body, need to work on. And so as we go through prayer in Daniel, I want us to look at internally at our own personal prayer lives. Then I want us to look at our family prayer lives, because our responsibility is a family to come together and pray. And then I want us to think about us as a local body, us coming together to pray because God moves, things happen, and we line up with God when we as they did in Acts 2.42, devote themselves to prayer. So we start off Daniel chapter 9 in verse 3. There are going to be a couple of things that are very evident when it comes to Daniel's prayer. The first thing is that prayer places us in our proper place when it comes to God. Prayer puts us in our proper place when it comes to God. Let's look at verse uh, three, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. When we talk about prayer, when Daniel prayed, the first thing he did was he approached God in humility. When I pray, when I go before God, it puts me in my proper place. And I'm standing in front of the almighty creator of the world. I'm standing in front of the El Shaddai, the Elohim. And in standing in the awe of God, I am reduced to understanding that I am nothing. And so I'm coming before God in a humble state. That's what prayer does. I like what it says there in verse 3. Then I turn my face. When you look at it in the Hebrew, it literally is written, I am giving my face to my Adonai, the Elohim. I am giving my face. What Daniel is saying when he's praying, he's taking his face and giving it to Adonai Elohim. In his face, that means his focus, his everything, his direction, everything is turned to God. 
When we pray, do we give our face to God? Think about how serious that is. That giving a face has the idea of extending or devoting or dedicating or stretching out or giving over. I like the fact that he says to the Lord God, that word Lord, we remember when we were looking at our study of the word of God, Adonai. Adonai means master. And so, again, putting us in proper place, elevating God to who he is, master and me, servant. And I am giving my face. That has the idea of focus. All my face, all my attention now, I'm turning and giving it to Adonai, the Elohim. That's what prayer is. Prayer isn't just a, oh, real quick, uh, I think for this day, thank you, I got hurt today, Jesus, I pray, amen. That's not giving my face. That's not taking all of my focus and all of my being and putting it toward the Adonai, the master, Elohim, the one, all, true, almighty God. I have a pet peeve. When I'm talking to somebody, I like them looking at me. You know, so I'm talking to you and you're on your phone. I'm like, okay, you're not listening to what I'm saying. So I'll wait till you finish and then I get your eyes. I like you looking at me. That way I know I have your undivided attention when I'm talking to you. That's the same thing we're talking about when Daniel said, I'm giving my face. I'm giving God my undivided attention, my undivided all when I come before him in prayer. We know we've given God our hearts. The question is, are we continually devoting ourselves to giving God our faces? When we pray, when you pray, make sure that you are giving God your face. Your prayer time is a time of focus. Not on anything else, not on what I'm going to do next, but totally focus on God. Daniel said, I turn my face, I give my face to Adonai Elohim, seeking him. That means I'm seeking, I'm pleading. It's a passionate expectation. When we pray, there's some energy that should be given when we're talking to God. Turn with me to James chapter 5. That's New Testament. Hebrews, James. It's right before 1 Peter, right after Hebrews. James chapter 5. James was talking. He says in James chapter 5, verse 16, therefore, he talks about sins and forgiveness of sins. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray to one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. King James says the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous. That word there, working, that effective is a word for energy. Energetic prayer of a righteous man is energetic. That means it's very strong. It's working. Question is, how much work, how much energy do I put forth in my prayer when I turn my face to Edonai Elohim? Prayer is a time to realize who I am. I am a servant to God and I'm coming before you, God, giving you all, giving you praise, giving you worship. Realizing that I am not worthy and I'm going to turn my face. I'm going to give you all my attention. I'm going to give you all my focus during this time of prayer. And I'm going to seek you and plead with energy. Because the Bible says that when I do that, my prayer is working. There is some energy behind my prayer. The question I ask myself is how much work, how much energy is going into my prayer life? Olu. How much energy is going into your prayer life? How much energy is going to your family prayer life? How much energy is going to our church corporate prayer life? How much energy? 
Prayer is a command from God. And what prayer does is it puts us in our proper place. A lot of issues that we have in life that we go through is because we are not in our proper place. Sometimes I have to remind, I won't call his name, but my son, that, I won't say his name, that he is not anybody's father in that house. Sometimes he says things to the other girls like you do, and I'm just like, hey, just, just a quick reminder, you're nobody's daddy in here. So you can ask. Why? Because there needs to be proper place. And sometimes I have to talk to my daughters. I say, hey, you need to watch how you talk because there's order here. You need to be in the proper place. The reason you got in trouble is because you stepped out of line. You know that phrase? That means there's a place, there's a line, there's something you're supposed to be in, and you stepped out of line, now you're in trouble. And so in order to make sure that relationship, father, son, father, daughter, mother, daughter, mother, son, husband, and wife is right, you have to make sure that we are in our proper place, meaning I have to have the proper view of who God is. And if I have the proper view of who God is, Adonai, Elohim, I am the servant. And because of that, I'm going to turn my face and give you my focus and attention and energy as I seek you in worshipful prayer. The second thing Daniel does in his prayer is we see that prayer places us in the proper position of fellowship with God. So first, it places us in our proper place with God. It places us in the proper place of fellowship. Turn back to Daniel. Daniel 9, verse 3, And I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord, verse 4, my God, and made confession. I made confession. When I go to God, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to understand who I am and who he is and give him his properties. Next, I'm going to confess to God. Why? Because the sin that I have in my life destroys or hinders the fellowship that I have with God. My relationship is hindered. And so I must come to God and make sure that I line back in fellowship. And to do that, Daniel and we should follow by confessing our sins to God. Turn with me. We got three verses. We're going to look at it real quick. Psalms 32, 5. So put one finger in Psalms 32, 5. If you got an extra finger, put it in 1 John 1, 9. I know some of you are on your devices, so I don't know how you put your fingers in your phone. That might be difficult. Psalms 32, 5 is the first one. 1 John 1, 9 is the second one. And then the third one is Psalms 51, verse 1. So we're going to start with Psalms 32. In Psalm, I guess I should turn there. Psalms 32, verse 5, the psalmist says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We have to come before God confessing, seeking his forgiveness. Flip to 1 John 1, 9. Some of you know that verse by heart. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he, talking about Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice a couple of words there when we're talking about forgiveness and confession. One is he is faithful and he is just. 
We saw that he is faithful and he is just. Turn with me to Psalms 51. David says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. When we approach God in prayer, Prayer allows us to line up in our proper position as far as fellowship is concerned with God. That sin that's in my life is hindering my fellowship with God. Notice those words there in those verses. First John says faithful and just. Uh, Psalm 51 says his love and his mercy. The foundation of our ability to confess is embedded in God's nature. We talked about the nature of God. We talked about attributes of God, who God is, not things he does, but who God is. We know God is faithful. The Bible tells us that we know God is just. We know God is love and we know God is mercy. And when we look at all three of those verses, 1 John 1, 9, Psalms 32, Psalms 51, we see that when the writers talk about forgiveness and confession, they all fall back to characters of God. God forgives us because of who he is. And we need to understand that God's forgiveness is not because we cool. It's not given because we've done something in the past. God forgives us only because of the character of his nature is to forgive when we confess. Nothing else. Another side note. This is a better side note. Our biblical command to forgive in my verse for last month. I don't want to should I sing the song. Be kind, don't sing it, one to another, sing it. Be kind, one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as Christ, for God's sake, has forgiven you. Our command to forgive one another, our responsibility to forgive, is based on us exhibiting the same qualities as the nature of God. The reason I forgive my wife is not because of anything else other than the fact that my responsibility is to reflect and be God-like. And God is faithful, and God is just, and God is love, and God is mercy. And so because these attributes are why God forgives me, me exhibiting these attributes is why I forgive my wife. This is how I for why I forgive one another. This is why I don't carry on that, mm, you did that, or you're going to pay for that. No. Forgiveness is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness is me giving up my right to be mad at that. I have a right to be mad at that because you did me wrong. I have a right to be upset. I have a right to be mad. I have a right to treat you a certain way. But because I am a reflection of God and because God is faithful, just love and mercy, I'm going to reflect God and I'm going to forgive you as God forgave me. Ephesians 4.32. So we got nothing to do with you. Well, she didn't confess. Well, she ain't acting right. Well, he don't look like he's sorry. Got nothing to do with that. Forgiveness is based on me reflecting who God is. That's why Paul said in Galatians, put on these fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, kindness. All these things I'm putting on because I'm supposed to walk, talk, act like God does. In, Dan, in, in, in Psalms chapter 51, we look at Daniel's. This is the famous confession uh, chapter. This is after David 
I committed that sin with Bathsheba and had her husband killed and all the things come down. And the prophet came to him, Nathan, and said, you know, you are the man. This is what Daniel wrote right after that. So if you look at that whole verse, verse three, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Notice how David doesn't try to shy away from the blame. He calls it what it is. He takes full responsibility. He views it as God does. That's what confession is. Confession is viewing your actions as God views them. That's all it is. So when I do something like, okay, I wonder how God looks at that. And I can look at the Bible. Oh, God doesn't look at that favorably. Then that's sin. And I need to confess. Why? Because I'm looking at it as God looks at it. An interesting note. Turn to 1 Peter 3, 7. This is interesting. We're talking about prayer. Bible says in Daniel chapter nine, it shows us that in Daniel's prayer, first, when we pray, it puts us in our proper place. God is master Adonai, and I'm giving my face. I'm turning my attention to he who is greater than I. The second thing prayer does, it allows me to get back in fellowship with God. I can ask him to forgive me of my sins. I can view sin as he does. I take full responsibility of my sins in my prayer. Now, your prayers may be hindered because of sin. Remember, the sin, the fellowship breaks up your prayer because my relationship with God isn't cool. And so because my relationship ain't cool, it's kind of hindered when I'm trying to get something to do, talk to him, all that kind of stuff. Peter says there could be something else that hinders your prayers. And this is kind of scary. In 1 Peter 3, verse 7, Peter says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So what Peter comes out and says, he says, listen, some of y'all men out there praying for stuff. You're falling on your knees. You're asking God to intervene. You're asking God to show up and show off. And ain't nothing happening. <laughs> the reason why could be the fact that your prayers are hindered. That word there, hindered, means cut off, crossed out, cut out. You're driving down the highway and somebody cuts you off. They jump in front of you. They're blocking you from doing. Peter said that some of your prayers, obstacles have been putting in the way of your prayers. Obstacles have been put in the way of your prayers such that your prayer ain't hitting past the ceiling because of the way you treat your wife. Peter said that two things live with your wife. And so your prayers are hindered by not living with your wife. What does living with mean? That means to dwell together. To cohabitate. The, um, the Greek there actually is to share the same bed, to have a community, together home. I like the way the Greek breaks word down. Together homing. That's what that word means. All the offices and the duties that a man is supposed to handle, a husband is supposed to handle in his marriage state, a.k.a. handle your business. If you do not handle your business, the Bible says that your prayers will be cut off, hindered. It's kind of dangerous. So men who aren't married, make sure you handle your business. It's a lifestyle of that. So it says not living with. And then it also says in an understanding way. That word understanding has an idea to two things. One, understand your biblical role and responsibilities as a husband. The second thing is to treat her with understanding. Consider it. 
Be considerate of her asks, her wishes, her desires, her comfort, her peace. Be sensitive to her needs, her fears, her feelings. Be thoughtful, be kind to subordinate my needs, to put my needs down, my desires down, my wants down, and lift hers up. That's my command. And Peter says, when I don't do that, my prayers are hindered. I thought this would be an interesting exercise. I know it's only, what, three of us that's married in here right now? So real quick. I guess I write a can. But the three men who are in here real quick, on your phone or a sheet of paper, I thought it'd be interesting to you. Write down three things, the top three things that your wife likes to do. What are the top three things that your wife likes to do? <laughs> yeah. We're not going to show her now. This is, this, is just, this is just something. And for the wives, you write down the top three things you like to do. Just jot it down. You do it on your phone. You do it on a piece of paper. What are the top three things you like to do? The reason I'm saying this is because it's interesting that the word here, understanding, has the idea that I know my wife, that I have an understanding, that I've taken time to examine, to detail, to break down, to understand my wife, such that I know things about her, her fears, her feelings, her needs. We were driving here today uh, in the car on the way to church, and I was trying to put my tie on while I was driving. And I was using both hands and it was raining. And so I was driving with my knees. You know, I mean, I've been driving for 30 years plus. So I know how to navigate a car in the rain and I can put my tie on. So I put my tie on. My wife beside me says, baby, you're scaring me because your hands are on the wheel. Now, my natural reaction was, woman, I've been driving for 30 plus years. OK, I've never been in an accident that was caused by Olu Bolden. I know what to do behind this wheel. Matter of fact, I'm the best driver you've ever known in your entire life. But the word of God from the message was speaking to me. <laughs> and I said, I can't say that, especially what I've been reading all week about understanding my wife, knowing my wife, and being sensitive to her. So I stopped putting on my tie, and I put both hands on the wheel, and I drove. Because that's what you got to do. At all the time. I guess not at times. All the time. I guess that's what you have to do. Paul, Peter said that your prayers are being hindered because we are not living with, because we're not understanding. And then he says we're not showing honor to our wives. We should treat our wives as a treasure, as one would treat a precious stone. Women who are not married yet, make sure that this man who asked you to marry him, that he does these things, that he treats you as a precious stone, that he understands you, that he takes time to know who you are. Men who aren't married yet, make sure that as you're looking for your wife, that you are exhibiting these things that the Bible says a husband should be. This knowledge should work itself out in our protection, our provision, our leadership, and our initiative when it comes to our wives. Our prayers could be hindered because of sin in our lives. Our prayer could be hindered because how we are treating our wives. And so when we pray, Daniel says, make sure that you are putting yourself not only in the proper place, but that you're lining in fellowship with God. And that comes in confession. Back to Daniel chapter nine. What Daniel does is so cool because he then goes on and not only confesses for himself, but he confesses for the people of Israel. Verse four, I prayed to the Lord, my God, Daniel chapter nine, verse four, and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We 
have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servant, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princesses and our fathers and to all the people in the land. He takes time and he confesses not only for himself, but for his family and for the people of God who've been disobeying God. The third thing that Daniel does in his prayer is that he prayer places God in his proper position and perspective. And so prayer one puts us in our proper place that has to do with humility. We're turning our faces to Adonai, the master. Prayer puts us in proper fellowship because I'm confessing. I'm calling my sins, my action the way God does. Therefore, removing obstacles, removing hindrances to my prayer and our relationship. And lastly, what prayer does is it places God in his proper position. And I put position and then I put perspective. Because we have to have the proper perspective of God and means we see him as he should be seen. And that is what our prayer does. I was thinking, look, and look what Daniel said in verse four. Oh, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Daniel took time to give God his propers. Give God what he deserves. That's what worship is. Prayer is a time of intense worship to God. Putting God in his proper position. I was thinking of some of the famous people I've met uh, in my life. We used to go to a lot of Magic games, and, and I think Ray gave us some tickets one time, and we met Dwight Howard. And Ray got a picture. We got a picture on Facebook of, of was it Janiah singing? Yeah. Janiah was singing like Amazing Grace to Dwight Howard, we're in a line, and we got up on him, we was meeting him, and we was just sitting there, and I was just thinking, and this is, by the way, when Dwight Howard was something. This was in the awe of Dwight Howard. People listen there like, what? That's not a big deal. But this was in, what was it, the 2011-ishes? You know, Magic's were in playoffs like every year, went to the championship. This was the peak of Dwight, and we met him, and it was crazy to just stand there in this guy's presence as tall as he was, like, yo, that's Dwight. Howard. We met Kurt Franklin about two years ago. No, last year. We met Kurt Franklin last year. We went to a church. He was there. And in the hallway, uh, we ran into him. It was actually a line to meet him. And we went to the line. We went up to him. And it was crazy because, you know, Kurt Franklin is one of my top three choir directors, choir leaders of all times, top three. And a lot of the songs we did, I think we did almost every Kurt Franklin song in every choir I've ever been in my entire life. Just love the way he does it. Uh, and so I have this awe of Kurt Franklin. And so to actually be standing in front of him, I'm not gonna do his Kurt Franklin voice, but he was like, oh, you know, oh. that's terrible. Anyway. <laughs> oh, 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 brother. Yeah, it was, it was a Kurt Franklin voice. But he was like, oh, your family is so beautiful. You guys are so, so beautiful. Your family is so beautiful. Oh, my goodness. And I had this list of things I was going to say of how I looked up to him and how I was emulating his songs. And when I got to him, I was like, hey, Kurt, um, I love what you do. That was all I could come up with. It was just terrible. But it was just I was in the presence of greatness of, of Kurt Franklin, a guy I've been looking up to like since I was young. It was like, yo, it's crazy. And the last one was I was at an AAU game. 
with Jaden. It was at AAU game. We were waiting for our team. We were sitting down. It was our team was about to play. I was coaching them, and I was sitting on the bench. And I looked behind me, and sitting behind me was this guy. And I saw his face. I said, "Oh my goodness!" Sitting behind me was the Super Bowl champion, the nine-time Pro Bowler, the Defensive Player of the Year in 2009, the Defensive Rookie of the Year in 2000. I'm sorry, 1998. The two times NFL interception leader, the national 1997 Michigan Wolverine champion, and also the Heisman Trophy winner, Sir Charles Woodson. Oh my goodness. He was sitting like two bleachers behind me. I lost my everlasting mind. I didn't know what to say. I was like, okay, I gotta say something. Okay, what, what do I do? And the boys I was with the team was like, they have no clue who's sitting behind me. This guy is the greatest defensive, the greatest corner to ever play the game of football in the history of the football. One year he got nine interceptions. You know how impossible it is to get an interception in the NFL? He got nine one year. Just give me that, give me that, give me that. Okay, I'm going too long. Charles Woodson was sitting, number two was sitting behind me at number two in Michigan. And I turned to the kids, I said, guys, behind us is Charles Woodson. And they're like, oh, cool, hey. I was like, no, 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 not all cool, hey. It's Charles Woodson. Give him some respect. Dwight Howard, Kirk Franklin, Charles Woodson. When we pray, we need to put God in his proper place of who he is. The Bible talks about prayer as entering into the holies of holies. When I remember when me and Melissa, we were overseas, my job one time, we went to, to Rome and we were able to go to the Vatican and we walk into the Sistine Chapel. And this is something you've seen all your life in pictures and on TV, but standing outside the building, it was a line. And then once we got close enough to the door and you could see inside and you started to see the ceiling and you could see that painting that Michelangelo did of, of the, 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 is it God and Adam? Is that what it was? Reaching out with his finger touching. And you looked up and you could see that through the door. It was like, and I'm not that sentimental dude. I'm not that dude. But it was just like, oh, snap. Like, this is not a picture I'm looking at. <laughs> this, is, this is a video. This is for real, for real. Like, Michelangelo was really on that ceiling right there. And when you walk in and it's just like, oh, my goodness, to see the awe and the craziness of that thing. When I think about the holies of holies, this place at the Bible that God told them very detailed and specific how to build this thing. Why? Because this is where God was going to show up. The almighty Adonai, Elohim, El Shaddai was going to show up here. And so when we pray, we're entering into the holies of holies. We need to enter in worship. We need to enter knowing and placing God in his proper perspective. See, prayer is more than just, oh, God, thank you for this food. Jesus, never pray. Amen. Oh, God, help me with this test real quick. Amen. Oh, God, thank you for, for the day. Pray to have a good sleep tonight. Amen. We need to spend time worshiping the awesomeness of who God is. My old pastor back home in Virginia, Pastor Matt, used to say, tell God about himself. Go through the scriptures and remind God who he is. That's what Daniel did here. Daniel said, I prayed to the Lord my God, saying, oh, Lord, the great and awesome God. How do I know God is great and awesome? Because his words say so. Who keeps his covenant and steadfast love. So what Daniel's doing, he's giving God worship. He's putting God in the proper place by telling God who he is, by giving God his propers. 
Take Martin Luther said this, take God's promises and throw them back in his face. When we pray. Prayer is not for God. Prayer is for us. We pray not because God needs our prayers, but because our prayer puts us in line in our proper place, back in fellowship with God and puts God in his proper place. And therefore, I line up to God's will and to his way. And as I walk in his way, now he can use me and he can bless me and I can be who I'm supposed to be. And so as we look at Daniel and his prayer, remember, it started with the word obedience, dive into the word, understand the word, break down the word, separate, distinguish, dissect, discern the word. But then that should flow into prayer. And I want us as a body of Christ follows a way to focus on prayer for these next couple weeks. And then when we start off January, I want us to get us a good Daniel fasting prayer going on. Focus on as a body. We're going to be praying, bringing our church to God, bringing our families to God, bringing individuals to God so that God can do what he's supposed to do with us. I think that once we do that, once we line up with all those four things, the apostles teachings, Fast, breaking the bread, fellowship, and then a continuing in prayer. I think we have no clue of what God can do with us as his body. When you pray, pray with humility, pray in confession, and make sure you worship God. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the ability, God, that you have even given us the opportunity to step into your presence. You're more awesome than Charles Woodson and Kurt Flanken and Dwight Howard than anybody. You are God, the El Shaddai, the Elohim, Jehovah Jireh God. And God, I'm humbled to even be able to speak to you in your presence. And I thank you at the verse we read today, God, is that you will hear us based on not what I am, not on what I've done, but because of your character, God, your faithfulness, your justness, your mercy, God, and for your love. I ask you, God, to forgive me for my sins, God. Forgive me for not putting prayer in the proper perspective. Forgiving me, God, as a leader of this church for not emphasizing corporate prayer as much as I should have been, God, in the past, God. I pray, God, that together as we look at your word, as we move forward and as we commit ourselves to praying to you, God, that you will hear us, that you will show us what you would have us to do and that you will bless us, God. I pray, God, for everyone in the sound of my voice, God, that you will be with us today, be with us this week, and everything that we do, God, we thank you that your word say you will never leave us nor forsake us, God. We pray, God, that we will live an attitude of prayer and that everything we do today and for the rest of the day and for the rest of this week, we will be involved in turning our face, giving our face to you, God, in prayer, confessing, putting ourselves in proper fellowship with you in prayer, God, and worshiping who you are. We thank you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.